Okay, tonight we are in Luke chapter 10, and we're looking at a very familiar parable, maybe the most familiar parable of them all, the Good Samaritan parable. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. This semester we're going to be looking at different parables, and uh, the last two weeks we did the sower and the seed, and then last week the rich man and Lazarus. Both of those parables focused specifically on God's Word. And how uh, our hearts tend to reject God's Word, and they tend to be hard, uh, and, but yet the Word is what saves, and the Word is what softens our hearts, and the Word is what gets underneath the surface and really changes us, and ultimately gives us the promise of hope. And so, uh, tonight, again, we're going to look at Luke 10 and this parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, so, read along with me. I think... I'm going to read up there because it's a different version here. And I forgot my Bible. Okay. Uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these... Three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. This ends a reading of God's holy word. Now, when most people read the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, they see primarily this picture of the Samaritan man helping this, this poor soul who got mugged and uh, robbed and beaten up and left for dead along the side of the road. And, and most people say that, okay, the calling of this parable, the main thing is that we should love our neighbors and that we should help people in need. And that if we do that, then we'll be blessed by God and we'll be saved. I mean, to some extent, that's how people interpret this parable. It's, it's a picture of sacrificial love. God wants me to love and serve my neighbor. If I love and serve my neighbor like this, boom, I'm in. I'm blessed by God and I can go to heaven. What I want to say to you tonight is that's not what this parable is about. Now, this parable is about that, but it's not primarily about that. Okay? Primarily, this parable is trying to answer this question. How can I get right with God? How can I get right with God? How can I, how can I know God to the point where I have eternal life? That's the fundamental question of this parable. And so we're going to look at that. 
um, as we go through here, and, and I've got kind of four points. Okay, that's different. Okay, um, <laughs> so the question is, how can we be right with God? And the first thing is um, to be right with God. It takes intellectual intellectual dependence. What I mean is, we have to trust God's word over our own ideas. Okay. Um, Getting right with God means we depend on Him and His Word versus our own intellect. And so, um, it takes, really to be a Christian, it takes what we might call intellectual humility. Okay? Whenever you read a book, okay, you have to come to it and just try to understand it, right? Well, the Bible even more so because it's dealing with ultimate truth. And, it's, and Jesus said, you know, my Word is truth. Um, this is this is the word that will cleanse you. Okay, he he makes these ultimate statements about his word uh, and about believing his word. And so, one of the things we see right off the bat with this lawyer. And by the way, the lawyer here is not a lawyer like Perry Mason lawyer, like a TV lawyer, LA Law. That was an old show. Um, probably uh, you guys don't even know about it anymore. But anyway, it's not a not a lawyer in the typical sense, but this was a lawyer, a religious lawyer, who specifically studied the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, the five books of Moses or the books of the law. So he was an expert in the Old Testament. So that's why he's called a lawyer. And so we have him coming to Jesus and uh, trying to test him. And he says, you know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But, he's, but he says it's a test. <laughs> He came to Jesus to test him. And when I saw that, I was like, you know what? This guy's coming thinking he's got it all figured out. Okay? He's probably heard about Jesus, doing these miracles, teaching. But you know what? I know the law. I know what the Bible has to say. And, uh, you know, I'm going to check this guy out. But I'm coming at Jesus with my own agenda. I'm coming at him realizing that I've got it all figured out. I know, I know you know, the score. And uh, I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to kind of test this guy. And so, that's what he does. He's a know-it-all. You know, I have all the answers. I know my Bible. I'm going to find something false in you, Jesus. And what that is, is that's called real intellectual pride. <laughs> okay? Because you can't do that when you come to Jesus. Um, you can't come to Him thinking, you know, I've got it all figured out. Instead, when you come to Jesus, you come realizing that that He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And it says in the Old Testament that by His Word He spoke and the world came into creation. Okay? That in, the, in Genesis 1, He spoke and it was created. Okay? We're dealing with ultimate power here when we're facing Jesus. And so when we come to His Word that's been given to us in the Scriptures, that means we have to come humbly. Uh, we can't come at Jesus um, thinking that we've got it all figured out. And, uh, and so this was how he was coming. Um, the, tr- the authority that he was ultimately trusting was himself. You know, his own learning, his own ideas, maybe the culture's ideas. And uh, I, I would say that, you know, in our culture, um, many people don't come to the faith because of this, because they're not able to step out of their self and out of maybe what the culture says about the Bible or what they think it says, and they're not able to humbly come and like say and just read the Bible for itself and like ask the Lord like help me to understand it. Uh, instead, he's really trusting himself. Uh, and so when you come to Jesus, 
In order to be right with Him, it takes intellectual humility. You have to come and say, I'm laying down my own eyes, my own ideas here, and I'm listening to you and your claim to be the author of life and the Creator and the One who knows all and, and true wisdom. And so, uh, God's truth. <laughs> That's what you're trying to do. That's what you're trying to learn. But it only is accepted when you humble yourself. And so... Isaiah writes this, he says, he says this, My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Ultimately, Isaiah is saying about God, that God is high and lifted up. And we are peons. <laughs> we don't know anything. Okay, We're here for 70, 80 years. We learn a lot of things, with a lot of knowledge, a lot of good stuff, a lot of truth. No doubt about it. But when it comes to ultimate things and God's revelation and who Jesus is, it, we, we don't understand it unless He reveals it to us. And so, what the Scriptures are... Okay, God reveals Himself in two ways, ultimately, in the Scriptures. Through His creation. We call that general revelation. So, so just the fact that He's made this amazing world, and we see, we see it for what it is, the human body, all these different things, God says that you should understand that I exist just by that. Okay? Our sinful nature says, no, 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 it must be time, matter, chance, it's evolution, you know, somehow we came out of primordial slime, and here we are, you know, millions of years later. But what God says is, no, I've created it all, and uh, you should know that just by the fact of your conscience, you know, um, the right and wrong kind of conscience that you have inside of you, these kind of things made in the image of God. And then secondly... He comes into the world and He speaks. Okay? And He shows up. And He shows up through the prophets. And He, and he does amazing things. In the Old Testament, He brings Egypt out of... Uh, or He brings Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. And time and time again, He enters into our world and He says, I'm, I am. <laughs> and I am true. And I am alive. And I am saving a people for Myself. And then ultimately, He comes in Jesus. And Jesus does miracles. Jesus proves that He's God through what He does. And He um, fulfills all this prophecy that was said about Him in the Old Testament. And so, when you're doubting and when you're thinking, you know what, the world is saying this about the Bible is untrue and everything, this is what I go back to. I go back to these things. You know, when I look at the world and I look how it's made and the ecosystem and just the incredible design and it seems like very much engineered to me, I say, God created that. Okay, Even though I might have lots of doubts about it comes back to like God created that. When I think about right and wrong and how come in every culture people have these ideas of, you know, adultery's wrong, murder's wrong, stealing's wrong. Where did that come from? Well, it seems like God has put a conscience of right and wrong in us. And so that's part of part of God's creational uh stamp on people that he is God. He's made them. Okay? So we come at it with that. We come humbly and we, we say that God does exist. And so, um, so but this man, when he comes, um, you know, he is trying to trick Jesus, trying to test him. And he even asks this question, which is messed up. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Is there something wrong with that to you? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I thought that inheritance was based on your status within the family. Okay? It has nothing to do with what you do. Okay? If your parents die or grandparents die or whatever, and you're in the will based on your 
based on the fact that you're in that family, you're going to get an inheritance. Well, he's got it all mixed up. You know, inheritance is not about earning. It's, it's about a gift that's given because of your status in the family and who you are. Not because you've earned anything. And so, the guy has wrong ideas um, as he's read the Old Testament. Even though he was a lawyer, even though he knew a lot, he missed the main thing. And here's the scary part about this for us, for all of us. If you grew up in the church, if you grew up around religion, you can be right in the middle of it and totally miss it. I mean, he was a lawyer. He was an expert. He knew his Bible. I mean, this was the Pharisees. Okay? They knew their Bible backwards and forwards. They knew the laws. And Jesus told them in John 5, He says, you study the Scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. So just by knowledge, by understanding, by truth. Then Jesus says this, These are the Scriptures that testify about Me, but you refuse to come to Me to have life. That's how, that's how narrow it is. You can have all this Bible knowledge, understand, grow up in the church, and uh, you can miss it totally. Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. <laughs> the whole Bible is about a promise. The whole Bible is about saying, I can't figure it out. I'm looking to who Jesus is and what He has said. Okay? So, that's the first thing. That in order to get right with God, it takes intellectual humility. It takes saying, you know what? I, don't, I have no clue, but, I, but Jesus says that His Word is true. And uh, I'm going to go to that and learn from that. And the Holy Spirit's going to work through that to, to confirm these things. And so, I really encourage you, you know, if you don't read your Bible much or have much knowledge of it, man, now's the time. You know, now's the time to, you know, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. But the Bible is going to be life. You know, the Bible is like food. The Bible is like meat. Like, when you come to the Bible, you get, it's like eating breakfast, Okay. You know, you're starving, you get up in the morning, you're eating that bowl of cereal or whatever it is. You know, and you're feeding yourself. And so Jesus says, like, my word is like that. My word is like food. It's like bread. And so if you say, you know what, I'm never going to read my Bible, I'm never going to look at it, you're going to get, you're going to starve. You know? And so that's why the Lord wants us in His Word. It's going to build us up. It's going to help us. But it always points to Jesus. And you have to be humble to see that. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is this, that we get right with God by recognizing our bankruptcy. Okay, and what I mean by that is our, our moral bankruptcy, um, that we can't fulfill the law. Okay, so the lawyer comes with all his education, all of his religious understanding of the Bible, um, and he, you know, he had great knowledge of the books of Moses, the books of the law, but yet he totally missed it. And Jesus has to tell him this story, okay, about this Samaritan, and when he asks him, you know, um, he says. Uh, um I've lost myself here. Um, when Jesus asks him, you know, how do you read the law? He says, you know, this is the main thing. He says, this is from Leviticus 19.18. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus immediately says, bingo. 
You answered correctly. Uh, do this and you will live. That's good so far. Okay, then the text says this. But he, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, But who is my neighbor? See, he lived his whole life kind of in a box, thinking that he could separate things out and he could control God, what he did and what he didn't do, and he could create... You know, the Pharisees were great about creating laws that they could keep, okay? But they were totally surface and they didn't get to the heart. And Jesus is trying to show him that he is totally bankrupt and that he doesn't love anybody, okay? He thought... He could just pick his and choose his friends and the people he loved. But he couldn't. And so the parable is showing how he tried to exclude the responsibility to love other people and make them non-neighbors. But Jesus is laying it out there and he's saying no. And so he tells this story about this man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this is about an 18-mile journey. And Jerusalem was kind of on a mountain, and it's a 3,200 uh, elevation drop down to Jericho. And this was a road with lots of, um, you know, cliffs and caves and areas where robbers could could go and hide out. And so, you know, he tells this story about the robbers coming and 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 uh, you know assaulting this man and robbing him and leaving him for dead. And then. He tells this story about a priest coming to help, okay, or coming by. And uh, the priests were descendants of Aaron. These were religious guys. And I can tell that probably the lawyer is saying, I knew it. I knew that priest. Like, he probably didn't like the priest being a, being a lawyer. And, uh, you know, here the priest walks by and, you know, he has to do something else. He has business at the temple. And then he... He uh, goes on and he says, then, then a Levite came by and the Levites helped the priests at the, at the temple and uh, they kind of assist the priests with the sacrificial system. And again, he passes on the other side. And I'm thinking that probably at this point, the lawyer is thinking, maybe Jesus is going to say, and then a lawyer came. And he, and he saw the man and he helped out. And, you know, who knows what he was thinking, but... I'm pretty sure he was thinking that he was better than the priest and the Levite. Like, I, I would go help them, okay? But here's where Jesus kind of has the, uh, the shocker in the story, okay? He starts talking about a Samaritan coming down the road. Now, to understand this, again, we have to go back and understand who were the Samaritans and who were the Jewish folks, okay? And the Samaritans were a hated class by the Jews, Okay, the Jews considered them dogs. They came out of an era when in Old Testament history, um, Assyria came and basically ransacked northern Israel. This is like around 700 um, B.C. or actually maybe more like 568. They ransacked northern Israel. The Assyrians come in. And so the Jews who were left behind intermingled and married with the Assyrians. And that became the, the uh, or with the Jews, and that became the Samaritan race. So it was a mixed Race of people. Okay, because of that, the Jews hated them. Uh, also, in their religious, um, you know, worship, they didn't acknowledge all of the Old Testament. They only acknowledged part of it. And so, in many, many ways, religiously, racially, uh, socially, these were outcasts. You know how the story goes with Jesus. He he went to the Samaritan uh, village, you know, in John chapter four, and everybody was like, "Oh, what's he doing talking to a Samaritan woman?" Because Jews and Samaritans don't talk. 
Okay, so here Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. And, uh, you know, he gives all this sacrificial love and his time and his energy. And he, he has compassion. He, ba- he binds up the guy's wounds. He takes him to the inn. He pays for him. He says, I'm going to come back and I'll pay you more if you need it. I mean, he, he shows this incredibly sacrificial uh, life. What's Jesus showing? Well, again, Jesus is showing the man deep down in his heart that you can't, you don't love. You know, when he brings up the Samaritans, that was the that was the race that they hated. And here, the Samaritan is the hero of the story. And so, time and time again, what Jesus is trying to do is show this man that he can't keep the law. So, coming to Jesus. Being made righteous in Him is totally different than the American mentality of of religion and Christianity. How are people made righteous? Not by keeping the law, but they're made righteous by seeing and owning the fact that they couldn't keep the law, that they were totally morally bankrupt, that instead of loving God and loving other people, they didn't, they, we, we loved ourselves and we hated God and we wanted to do what we wanted to do. And, that's what it means to become a Christian. It's where you see that my, all of my foundations are cracked and broken up. And I need, I need Jesus instead. And I need Him, not my own works. I need somebody else who perfectly loved and did it. And so Romans 3.20 says this about the law. And this is what the lawyer was relying on. But Jesus says, or Paul says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In Galatians it says similar. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And that's the Ten Commandments. That's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Nobody can be justified by that. Why? Because nobody can do it. Nobody can keep it. If we could keep it, we would live, but we can't. And then it says in Galatians 3, So then, the law was our guardian or tutor, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Here's what the law says. Keep doing it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Just keep doing it. Never stop. You have to obey in your actions. You have to obey in your mind, in your motives, in every area. We can't do it. We can't keep the law. But guess what? In American Christianity, people think, Christianity is a code of ethics. It is a moral thing that we do. And that as long as you do your church thing, and as long as you don't murder anybody, or commit adultery, and you basically keep it, and you compare yourself to others, God will accept you. I mean, that's what people think. The Bible is saying that we are totally depraved, <laughs> that we are, we, we are idolatrous, that we, we would kill God. We don't want Him in the picture. Our sin nature is so strong that we, we put ourselves above everything else and anyone else. Okay? This is, this is what the Bible is saying. So it's saying that you have to recognize that you're morally bankrupt. And, if you, and, and, so, and that's a good place to be. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. But that's a good place to be because then you're humbled enough to say, I need another person's righteousness for me. I need Jesus and His perfect righteousness. And so, there's a song we sing here at RUF sometimes. It goes like this. To see the law 
of Christ fulfilled. To hear His pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Christ is the one who fulfilled the law for us so that we could rejoice, so that we could see that it's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's about what He did. It's outside of ourselves. And so repentance and faith is all about saying, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I'm bankrupt, that there's nothing in me that is desiring you, Jesus. I'm admitting that. It's just confession, owning it, and saying, that's me. And repentance is then just turning and saying, but Jesus, you're the one who paid that price for me on the cross, and I come to you, I take your righteousness for my own. What you did satisfies God, not what I do. That's the glory of the Gospel. That's, that's why it's called good news. It was something that was done for us. And we just believe it. We just accept it. Now let me bring it home. Okay, because with parables, it's important to kind of think this back in our culture and think, like, where are we with this? Do we really love our neighbors? Do we really love the people around here? Does God want to get in and break up our foundations? And so here's what I, I jotted down this afternoon. So I'm going to tell it in a modern University of Maryland style. Okay? Um, <laughs> and so I want you to think, like, who are, the, who are the people in our culture that we put aside? Who do we think that are far from God? Okay. So let me uh, find where I started this. Uh, so I think if Jesus were to tell the parable, again, to the RUF group right here and to me, in our setting, He would say something like this. A young co-ed was coming home on Route 1 early Saturday morning at 1.30 a.m., and was robbed and assaulted along Route 1 by Frat Row as she walked back to her apartment at The View. Just before she could push the blue button on the emergency station, she collapsed. So there she was, lying under the Welcome to Maryland sign on the edge of consciousness, bloodied and beaten. Her purse and iPhone was stolen. And if that was not bad enough, her thumb drive that was in her purse, which had her senior research project in it, the only copy that was due the next day was stolen. Suddenly out of nowhere, a student from a Christian fellowship group by the name of the Crusade came along and passed by on the other side (laughs) and did not help her. He was too late to small group Bible study and he had to rush. Next... A girl from InterVarsity came by. (laughs) And she, too, went on the other side of Route 1 to avoid the situation. She was busy. She had to get back home to watch The Bachelor with some girlfriends. And then after that, hand out sandwiches to the homeless guys down by McDonald's. But then, stumbling out of the thirsty turtle, came the president of the LGBT club at the University of Maryland. A lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender club. He came through and he noticed the girl there bloodied and unconscious on the side of the road. Without hesitation, he ran to the girl, he checked her vitals, he called for help, 911, and he stayed with her as the police and the emergency personnel came. He followed the ambulance to the hospital. He stayed all night, even though he had a huge chemistry final the next day. Once at the hospital, he called her parents. He waited for them to come. He found out that she had no insurance, so he paid her medical bills right then and there. He left his credit card for any extra charges. 
So this means he had to pay for x-rays, CAT scan, blood tests, approximately $2,000 in fees. Finding out she lost her thumb drive, he spoke to her professor and got an extension for her and then came back every day during finals week just to visit her and to see how she was doing. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Think about that. Think about who you love. Think about who your friends are. Think about what Jesus thinks about people and who He calls us to love. Is it just people like us? Is it, is it the least of these? Is it people totally who we would say, man, they're on the total left side of the spectrum? Because that's what the Jews thought of the Samaritans. And so what we have to see when we see our hearts and we see that we really don't love people, we need to see that there is another one. There's someone else who makes us right. That we can't make ourselves right. That we are sinners. That we really don't love people. Unless they're like us. And so, again, the story, the main point of this story, it shows our bankruptcy and our, and our need and our desperate need for righteousness outside of ourselves. This is what the lawyer couldn't get, and this is what we struggle to get. We think we can do it. We think that we can keep the law. But when we look under the surface, we see, you know what? We're just selfish. We can't keep it. And that's what the Scriptures say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, in this passage, we, we, we're given a picture of a real sacrificial Samaritan. The love of a Samaritan. And he gives of his time, his energy, he's compassionate. And in the Gospel, we're given that ultimate picture of the Good Samaritan. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who was despised. He was the one who was rejected by men. We hid our faces from Him. He was hated. And He's the one that ultimately is killed and dies on a rugged cross, even though He's falsely accused. And He does that for us because, guess what? We're the ones bloodied and beaten on the side of the road. Okay, that's us. Okay, if you understand your bankruptcy and you understand you're a sinner, that's us. That's us in the story. We're the ones who we can't help ourselves. You know, the gospel is that it's, the gospel is not like I can just reach out and grab Jesus. The gospel is no, I'm dead and I need resuscitation. You know, I need those electric things, boom, on my chest. I need to be resurrected because of my sin. And that's what Jesus does to us. He calls us and he comes and he lays down his life for us. Tim Keller says this, This is the Gospel. All of us lie helpless and bankrupt, dying in the road. Jesus Christ, who is our natural enemy because He's holy and we are sinners, who owes us nothing, nevertheless stops and gives of us His spiritual riches and saves us. And so have you experienced that? Have you experienced the resurrection power of the Gospel in your life? <laughs> Where you've seen your sin... And you've seen how bad it is and you see that you don't really love people. But you see a Savior who loves sinners like you. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. And guess what that does to us? That 
makes us people who love, people that aren't like us. That When we experience grace ourselves, when we experience the love of Jesus ourselves, and we understand we're just as big a sinner as anybody out there that we see. So I don't know who it is in your, in your mind if you're thinking just frat row or whatever it is. The people that you think, oh, they're way over there. We're just like that. All of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all of our good works are like filthy rags. And so, but when you've been touched by that, that changes you. When you know your sin deeply and you know the grace of God, that makes you a person who can love. And that makes this parable then an example of how we are to love. But it's never going to justify us. It's just a response to grace. Because of that great love that Jesus has given for me, when I was on the side of the road, I'm just happy to be alive. And when I see somebody else who's struggling, I can go and love them no matter who they are. That's the Gospel. That's the power of God to change you. Let me pray. Father, thanks for tonight. Thank You for these parables. Thank You how they get underneath the surface and they shock us and they call for a response. And so thank You, Jesus, that You are the One who came and who bandaged us up, that You died for us, that You saved us when we were alongside the road. And I pray that we would understand that deeply. And it would change our hearts. And it would make us people who would be like the Good Samaritan. That we would be people who love sacrificially and, and give of our time and give of our resources and just love people. Lord, wouldn't that be a refreshing thing here at the University of Maryland? And so we just lift that up and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, we're going to stand and respond with a song or two. Or I guess one song. Thank mm-hmm. you.